Man, that is some exciting stuff. Plus, can we just say hallelujah for the bass guitar? This is like the first Sunday in the history of City Light Council Bluffs that we had a bass guitar, and I was like, the Holy Ghost is here, right? I was so excited. That was awesome. Um, So Eric said, my name is Doug, and I get to follow Jesus with you guys. I love it. We're in the middle of a series of messages on our values, the values that shape us and drive us as a church. At the end of the day, these are the things that we want to say that is true of us. These are the passions that are thumping in our hearts, the deepest core of who we are and what wakes us up in the morning and gives us a reason to get out of bed. So we express those core values in four directions. Anybody want to say them with me? Down, up, in, out. This is awesome, bro. This is so cool. So we've already looked at down, which we said is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we said that that gospel, it is the ABCs and the A to Z of following Jesus. Then last week, Eric talked to us about up, which is our response back to God. And he said that we are all formed, we're all shaped in different ways. And it's better to be transformed by the gospel than to be conformed into the world. Now this week, we're looking at a third core value, which is in. In refers to how we relate to one another, how we connect with one another. In is all about family, community, groups. So let me ask you a question. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say church community? Okay, what, what do you think of when I say Christian community? What comes to your mind? Like, if I were to talk to you after the message this morning and be like, hey, so nice to meet you, you should join a city group, which is our small groups. What would be your gut level, honest reaction, though you probably wouldn't actually say it to me? What do you think of? We all have different responses when we think of church community. For me, I grew up in a rather large church. I'm so grateful for this church. The pastor just preached through books of the Bible, showed us the gospel all the way through. But then the like the social functions, the, the group meetings, the potluck dinners that the church had, they were a little awkward. You see, our pastor was a Bible genius, but he was kind of socially awkward. You know what I mean? Um, and... It was to his disadvantage. He didn't try to do this, but he looked like Pee Wee Herman, okay? He, and he wore the gray suit and the red tie. It was like one of those churches, like pastors in the suits, all that stuff. So he looked like Pee Wee Herman, and he played the accordion. So here's the deal. Every year, like once a year, we would have this big potluck as a church. Hundreds of people packed into the church gym. Mom and dad made this delicious homemade ice cream. And in the middle of the potluck, the pastor would get on stage and play the accordion while he looked like Pee Wee Herman, like his toe is tapping, all that sort of stuff. That's my idea of church community growing up. What about you? And your answer, what you think of when you think of church community, it makes a difference in your life. Like if you grew up next door to some Christians who always complained about their church, That's going to shape the way you think about being a part of a church. 
Or if you took that risk one time and you showed up to a small group and they got way too personal, way too fast, and you got out of there as soon as you could, that's going to kind of shape the way you're like, should I enter back into a small group ever? What we think about when we think of church community makes a difference. Many times, those experiences that we've had, they have been so potent, so punchy, that it even makes it difficult for us to step back into a church or smaller community within a church, which is only natural. That is only human. But I want to invite you this morning to take your idea of community, whether it's good or bad, happy or sad, fun or boring. And we want to take that idea of community and bring it to the gospel. And we want to ask the question, how does the gospel shape and influence community? How does the gospel of Jesus Christ shape and influence our community? And there's so many different ways that the Bible teaches that the gospel shapes community. I'm just going to pick three of them, and we're going to track through them together, okay? So the first thing, the first way that the gospel shapes community, this is in your notes, is this. The God of the gospel is a community. The God of the gospel is a community. So the gospel is good news about God. And this God, the true, eternal, supreme God of the Bible, he is a community. Have you ever thought about that? So the Bible teaches that God is a trinity. One God, three persons, okay? And each of those three persons, they're unique and distinct, yet they are also all God. You've got God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All of them are unique, but at the same time, all of them are God. And so God himself is a community. We get like a glimpse into this community that is God in John 17 when Jesus is praying. Jesus prays, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I desire that they also, he's talking about the disciples, that they also see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, before you and me, before Adam and Eve, before all the fishies of the sea, God himself was in community. He is a community. God the Father was deflecting praise and God the Son was giving love. They were loving and praising one another for as far back as we can possibly go back forever, for eternity. God has been and is a community, which means God isn't isolated. God has never had the opportunity to be alone. There was no, gotta get some me time and recharge my batteries, which is crazy, right? I am an introvert. I love a good book and a quiet room and a lack of company. But God doesn't get that experience. God has forever existed in and is a community. Then Genesis 1 verse 26, this is the passage Eric read. This God who is community, in Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us, that's God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So this God who is community created us like him in his image. You might say it this way. We are made by community and for community. We are made by community and for community. 
So what, what does this mean, all this Trinitarian theology? What does this mean for us? One thing it means is that we can't quit community. We can't quit community even if we tried. And honestly, if I could, I probably would. Like if I were that new person walking into City Light Church and Council Bluffs and it's a church plant and someone came up to me and said, hey, you should get in a city group. My honest reaction would be like, mm, thanks, but no thanks. Like I'll be fine. I'll go home. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'm going to do okay. That sort of thing. But when I look away from myself, And when I look up to God, away from my introverted personality and my natural bent, and I see God, what I see is a community. And he created me in his community image. So I am made for community, to be known by others, to love others, to enjoy and connect with others and learn from others. Therefore, I can't quit community even if I tried. You can't quit community even if you tried. So City Light, listen, we don't have city groups because they're cool, hip, trendy, or a good way to grow a church. We have city groups because they are our best yet feeble attempt to reflect this community image of God that is stuck inside all of us. We were created for community. This also means because God is a community, it means that we're cool and we're okay with large groups, but you're going to find we're always aiming for small groups. Think about the Trinity. It is a small community, only three members with a large impact. Like the Trinity's done some stuff, right? They're not a large community with a small impact. Similarly, we want to always aim for small communities, city groups. That's why we do city groups that have a large impact. Our goal, what we love, the ideal is for a city group to be small enough to where we know each other, but large enough to make a difference in our city and make a difference in our lives. So usually what happens is a city group starts out small and then it grows, right? New people come, they're connecting, they're enjoying the community and then new leaders emerge and that small group turns into a big group, which then multiplies into two new small groups at least for a little while, and then those grow. And so we always are pursuing this small group culture to where we can actually know each other, yet be able to make a difference. We are cool with crowds on Sundays. We want to always make room for more people to come hear the gospel and get connected to community. And we're going to always aim. We want small communities so that we can actually know each other and reflect the image of God. So the first way that the gospel shapes community is the God of the gospel is a community. Second way that the gospel shapes community is this. The the adoption of the gospel announces that we are in a new family. The adoption of the gospel announces that we're in a new family. So the gospel tells us that we were lost and orphaned, but now we've been brought into a new family. This is a family knit together by blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, Paul tells the Corinthians, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul wasn't merely like a father to them. He became their father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Furthermore, when you read the New Testament and you see how these letters are written to the churches, how are they always addressed? 
brothers and sisters. So we are adopted and brought into a new family with brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and crazy uncles who say loud things at the family reunions and sweet grandmas who pray for us when we wander away. We're brought into, adopted into a new family, which is great and it's exciting. But at the same time, this idea, the truth, the reality of new family can be difficult and tricky because all of us, we already have family, right? We've already had families, and some of our families are fun. Some of them are boring. Some of us like our families, and some of us don't like our families. And truthfully, many of us, we grew up in broken homes. We had dads who were absent or moms who were too controlling. We had brothers who hurt us or sisters who mistreat us. So when we hear that because of the gospel, we're adopted into a new family. At the least, it's a little bit confusing. At the most, it can be really scary. So let's ask the question, what kind of family are we adopted into? What kind of family are we brought into? Three descriptions of this family. First is, we are a spiritual family. And you can write that with a capital S. We are a spiritual family. Here's what I mean. We hear the gospel, maybe from a coworker or a teammate or a fellow student, someone who lines out that we are sinners, but God loves and saves us through the work of Jesus Christ. We hear that gospel and we believe it. We say, yes, that's for me. At that moment, when we believe the gospel, we immediately become a son of God. We're adopted into his family and God sends us his Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 15 says, this Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit that we receive when we believe the gospel is the spirit of adoption. So what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us is reminding us, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. And then when we go to Citigroup and that one guy talks way too long and shares way too much, the Holy Spirit says, he's adopted into the family. He's your brother. Maybe an annoying brother, but a brother nonetheless. Or maybe it's that lady who's way too dramatic or that person who said hurtful words to you or someone who took advantage of your kind and caring heart. The Holy Spirit is in us reminding us they're in the family too. Everyone who places faith in Jesus Christ, they're adopted and brought into his family. So being a part of a spiritual family means that we've received the Holy Spirit from God who consistently and repeatedly reminds us that we are sons and daughters in God's family. We're a spiritual family. We are also an affectionate family. We are an affectionate family. Someone needs to smile out there. You guys are like barely awake, okay? We're an affectionate family. Two Bible verses. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, sisters, family, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then earlier in Philippians 1 verse 8, Paul wrote, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
So the gospel makes us an affectionate family. That's why when you walked in this morning, you probably got a hug or a high five or a shout out or at least some sort of friendly smile from somebody. And if you didn't get that, I am so sorry. We believe that the gospel welcomes us into a new family, a family of affection and love and joy and a family that can actually have some fun, smile on your faces. People, come on, are you hearing this, okay? We want to be like Paul, an affectionate family. In general, we'd say it this way. We are high touch, not high tech. Okay, we value high touch way more than we value high tech. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I don't know if that affection thing is for me. Okay, so let me tell you a little my story, okay? I grew up and I was not an affectionate kid. Okay, now my parents and my brother We knew that we loved each other, but it was one of those deals where you like knew that you loved each other, okay? There wasn't much affection, not much touch. But then over the years, once I went off to college, God started doing something in me, and he largely did it through my brothers in Christ. These were grown men, like with beards and older than me, and they would come give me hugs, and it felt so awkward, right? But over the years, because of their love, their affection, and their hugs, I grew to love hugs. And now I love hugs. And some of you make fun of me for it. That's okay. God's going to judge you for that, okay? (laughs) I'm kidding. He'll probably judge me for saying that to you. I'm so sorry. I need to repent. What I'm trying to say is affection can grow among us as a family. Affection is something that can be developed, whether it is hugs or high fives or words or a listening ear or a loving smile. However you express affection, it's something that can grow among us as a family. We are an affectionate family. Third thing about our family is we are a serving family. This same Jesus who makes us family also said that he came not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus and his family are marked by serving. Let me share something with you that's a struggle for me as a pastor. Like right now, this moment, we desperately need five or six people just to say yes and volunteer and say like kids. Like we just need it. It's a must. Like we got to close classes, stuff like that. We just need five or six people to say, yep, I'll do City Like Kids, volunteers, let's do it. That sort of thing. And so what I often do is I'm a very task-oriented person. So I'll just rush ahead and I'll think we need five or six. Let's go get it. Let's do the recruiting. Let's make it happen. But what the truth is, it's so much deeper than that. The reality that I often forget is because of Jesus, we are made into a family, in particular, a family who loves to serve one another, a family who looks for ways to make sacrifices for the larger good of the family. It's the difference between my 11-year-old son reluctantly taking out the trash because I said, oh my goodness, the trash is overflowing. Will you please take out the trash? And my 11-year-old son saying, hey, dad, is there anything that you need help with? Can I help out around the house? The former is him doing a duty which is cool. The latter is him getting that we are a family and in families, we serve one another. 
When families gather, families serve. So the invitation really isn't, please, five or six of you real fast, jump into City Like Kids, we need you. That's true. But the invitation is, hey, we are a family of God. And the truth is our family's just growing faster than we expected. So if you kind of consider this to be your family, then please, could you help out, change a diaper, make a cute little scroll to teach kids about the Bible and just jump in because you get to help serve and sacrifice for this community, just like our big brother Jesus. Jesus did for us to ever start this thing. Does that make sense? We're a family who serves. And so while we're talking about this, let me just say, we, I love the way you all serve. If you've been here for a while, you may be like, man, this church really stinks at serving. They're always recruiting. They're always saying they need volunteers. Actually, we excel at serving. We're just a really rapidly growing family, so we're always needing more help. The truth is, in our church of over 250, we only have two full-time staff members. Our finances are run by a volunteer team. City Light Kids, from top to bottom, is all volunteers. The donuts and the coffee, the donuts get delivered and the coffee gets made every Sunday by volunteers. The majority of the renovations that you see in this building were done by volunteers. So volunteers are really the lifeblood of our church. And I want to say Thank you so much for jumping into this family and then serving in this family. You are having an influence on my heart as I watch and participate with you in gratitude and you're having